mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I found a lump by accident. So for the whole week I was telling my friends and family, I was like, I think I've got cancer. And they were like, no. Yeah. And I was really hoping they were wrong, but I knew it. The cancer thing threw my world as I knew it into disarray. Start seeing your life as your soulmate. And actually, like when things happen, like you said, things work out for me. If one day you miss a train and you can't go somewhere, mm. it's finding what else presents itself that day. And maybe that's what you needed. Rather than seeing like trauma or things not working out, bad breakups work as moments of crisis, see them as moments of opportunity. Rather than putting energy into finding someone that will fill this void in my life, I have created a life that is so abundant in love. It's friends, it's family, it's the way I love myself, it's my work. Like you're pushing on this door that won't bloody open, but there's a window ajar. What right. are you doing? Hey guys, and welcome back to Working Hard, Hardly Working, the podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Lauren Mann. This was one of my favorite conversations I have ever, ever, ever had, not just on the podcast, but ever had, which is a big, big claim because this girl chats a lot. So if you're speaking to me and you're having a great conversation, you know, that really says something. So I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode. Lauren has obviously done a lot of work within the cancer space, raising awareness, talking about the reality of life with cancer. But on top of that, what we talked about before the episode, episode is that how a lot of what she talks about now is around cancer and there's so much more to her than her diagnosis and her life since then and we just had the most amazing chat around everything from mindset to manifestation to living a better life to being able to work out your life's trajectory with kind of being able to follow the path of your life and really get the most out of it. And it was just such a good chat. As always, if you do, please share it with your friends and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And also, please feel free to rate the podcast only if you want to rate it five stars. Please don't feel free to rate it if you'd like to rate it one star. And as always, I hope you have a wonderful day. But before you have a wonderful day, we are going to do a breast examination. You should be doing this regularly but we're going to do guided today. So think of this as a guided meditation, but instead we are examining your breasts because it is very important to do so. So if you could get in front of the mirror and get them out, preferably be in a private space, if not, whatever floats your boat. So I'm going to lead you through this. This is from the NHS website and we are going to go through this together. So Look at your breasts and feel each breast and armpit up to your collarbone. You might find this easiest to do in the shower or bath by running a soapy hand over each breast and up under each armpit. So I will give you a break to get in the bath if you'd like to do this. You can pause this now, run your bath and get soapy. You can also look at your breasts in the mirror. Look with your arms by your side and also with them raised. What you're looking for is a change in the size, outline or shape of your breast, a change in the look or feel of the skin or your breast, for example, puckering or dimpling, a rash or redness, a new lump, swelling, thickening or bumpy area in one breast or armpit that was not there before, a discharge of fluid from your nipples, any change in nipple position, for example, your nipple being pulled or pointing differently, a rash, eczema-like, crusting, scaling or itchy skin or redness on or around your nipple, and any discomfort or pain in one breast that does not go away. Now we have done this, you know what you're looking for, you should be doing this regularly, just do it in the shower. Make sure you get checked if you see anything unusual or any of those symptoms. And as always, enjoy this episode. A huge thank you to Lauren Mann for coming on. As I said, such a good chat. I feel like this was kind of life-changing for me and was kind of therapy for me. So I hope you really enjoy it. And as I said, as always, have a lovely day. Lauren Mann is creator of the online community Girl vs. Cancer and host of You, Me and the Big C. She launched her social media community with the aim of raising awareness and driving support towards women with cancer. After being diagnosed with breast cancer at 31, Lauren has used this to drive important conversations about cancer and share the reality of her experience with the disease. 
In March 2018, Lauren's BBC podcast, You, Me and the Big C, was born with a focus on sharing Lauren's cancer journey and experience in a positive light. Having originally co-hosted with Deborah James and Rachel Bland, who both sadly passed away in 2018 and 2022 respectively, she is now the show's sole surviving host. The podcast ensures that there is a platform for important conversations on body positivity, sex and masturbation, as well as, of course, their experience with cancer. She has also been an advocate for charity, designing and selling tip teas, raising £60,000 for cancer research, and in 2019 she was awarded the Triumph Award at the Stylist Remarkable Women Awards for prevailing in the face of adversity. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm very excited to have you today. I want to get straight into things because I want to talk to you a lot Mm. more than just about your diagnosis Mm. and kind of the story of that. So if you can kind of set the scene, give us a little bit of background on your general story, how you got to where you are today. That'd be super helpful. I am now approaching the ripe old age of 38. Looking good though, don't worry about it. And when I was 31, out of nowhere, I got breast cancer. And I was at the point in my life where like, I kind of just moved out of home properly, was moving in with friends. Mm. I, I felt like, you know, your early 30s, you're really starting to form yourself as a person. I had my first job in social media. I'd done digital marketing for years. Yeah. Really loved it. And out of nowhere, like just this diagnosis, no family history or anything. And it completely shook my world, as you can imagine. Yeah. But the most amazing thing about it was, you know, you, you go through something so traumatic, but I kind of harnessed all of the skill sets that I had yeah. beforehand. So like mm-hmm. all the creative elements, blogging, influencer marketing, social media to create this online community yeah. called Girl Versus Cancer, yeah. which now is a charity. Come on. Amazing. I was sick and I was young and I really struggled to find mm. women like me to talk to. And that's me as a white cis het woman. Mm. But everything was elderly and clinical and cold and mm. like didn't speak to me and I felt very isolated. So I, and also people like, they give the head tilt. Yeah. They're like, oh my God, you've got cancer. And it did my head in. Mm. So I thought, let me talk about my cancer in my way, in the hope that another girl like me will find me and will go, oh, that's more like me. Yes. Um, and it just ended up blossoming into this wonderful community. Yeah. Um, and then also along came the podcast, You Me in the Big C, which I'm so proud of with myself, Rachel Bland and Dame Deborah James. And we created that, again, to have a conversation around cancer, to change the dialogue. Because everything we hear, you know, if you think of an advert on telly mm-hmm. and you think of cancer, you think of sad, very Piano sick, music in the background. Piano music, really forlorn, like bald, scary. And we weren't that. Mm-hmm. And I think we were kind of fed up of this narrative around the disease. And all it does is hinder people from getting checked, makes people feel isolated when they've got it. It's gone on to do amazing things. So now, you know, I'm five years cancer-free. I am a founder of a charity. I run my own business as my own personal brand. Mm. Um, I do a lot of advocacy work. I'm a dog mum. I live on my own. Mm. And yeah, I do the podcast, You Mean the Big C, which is coming to an end. And it's just a very, yeah, I look back at the last five years. Five years is a big milestone point, isn't it? Of course. And uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm just at this real big turning point in my life, really. So right before the diagnosis, as mm. you said, completely unexpected, no family mm. history, wasn't something mm. that you were kind of particularly looking out for. What stage were you at in your life at that time? So you were 31, yes. am I right in thinking? Um, and you'd, what had kind of for the past few years been like for you? Party a man. Yeah. Oh my God. Good. That's what we like to hear. It's drugs and dick. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> little bit of work thrown in <laughs> I really enjoy that yes that's me babes I used to say I operated a legs open heart closed policy <laughs> I'd been very much burned in the past and I was yeah. just living my life and I just think you know I was always kind of I'm a very social butterfly and I just feel like I kind of started coming into my own in my late 20s mm. felt more confident I was going out more finding my feet um, and again in work like I was part of that era of digital so my first job straight out of uni I was interning and then got a job at Firetrap okay which is now like the Mike Ashley brand but back then it was cool yeah as in like one of the first events I ever worked on Lady Gaga performed oh my god unreal I know it was big so I loved that job but it was traditional marketing and then the website launched and I went into digital marketing yeah and it was it was me one guy who did customer service and the econ manager that was it really I did the marketing so I did like all the banners and all that jazz 
it was so small. So I really started in digital when digital started mm. and worked my way through. So just before I got sick, I'd found my niche. Yeah. I loved doing social media. I loved influencer marketing. What I find really great about that in the way that you describe that is that I think we have like, I mean, I know that we mm. have such a problem in society with like turning 30. Like this yeah. whole thing of it being like, it's the way we like look at it and talk about it is this like completely artificial like decline (laughs) and it's like no okay if you're assuming that you know you might have come out of uni or school Mm. like a decade before Mm. you have that 10 years to kind of like like one of the best pieces of advice someone gave on the podcast was essentially just being like you're essentially training yourself and finding out what you like on other people's money like you're being you're in a job you're getting training you're working with people like you're finding this all out on other people's money and you can basically use it as a playground to do that to chop and change careers to try new things all of this there is no world in which we'd expect in the first like 10 years of that for that Mm. to be I don't know like well underway in your career yeah yeah and I love the way that you say that actually coming to that point and I don't know if that's in hindsight or how you felt at the time Mm. but really being like oh I'm starting to really know my shit now I'm starting to know what direction I want to go in and I'm really good at this like this is my niche yeah do you know what I I had to say I never thought I was any good at anything Mm -hmm. when before I was poorly genuinely I was I felt I hadn't I still do have imposter syndrome, but in a different way. I just felt like I knew what I liked, so I'd go for it. Mm. But what I now know is the way that my brain works and how I am as a person, I thought I was this type of person. I didn't think I was creative. I thought I was quite logical and da-da-da. And actually, I now know that I'm a very creative brain. Mm. You know, I was always the kid at school who would do the maths working out and I'd get the right answer, but they'd be like, you've worked out the wrong way. I'm like, what? what? Right. Care? So... I always went into jobs and then I'd find it around the six month to a year point, I'd get very bored very quickly mm-hmm. because I was having to do all those like reporting bits. And yeah, this bit, and right. I, I couldn't. Yeah. I just couldn't because I like, give me the numbers mm. and I know what, I'm like, yeah, cool, I've, I can learn from that. But actually working the numbers out and doing that stuff, hell no. Mm. So I would always think I was crap at my job and I'd always think like I'd get bored and I'd put things off and I'd get into trouble. So it took a lot of learning yeah. in that time. but. It was good because I started to figure out, okay, the reason why I don't like this is because it's too analytical. Mm. Okay, I need to move into something more creative. Let's try this. Mm. I even went freelance randomly for a year just because I hated my old job. Quit it, went off traveling at 26. And yeah, I just started to really figure out in that way. But it was a lot of trial and error. And it was very uncertain and very unstable, Mm. I would say. I'd say... It wasn't until I got sick and started to do my own thing that I actually felt confident in my right. skill set. I guess a little bit in hindsight, you feel yeah. like that was the point that you were coming to this like culminating point of really understanding what you wanted to do with yeah, your yeah, career yeah, yeah. and your yeah, niche yeah, yeah. and all of that. And at, around the time of the diagnosis, and we won't spend too much mm. time on this, um, but just in terms of kind of how it, what led to your yeah. diagnosis, yeah. would you mind talking about that just quickly? Yeah, I mean, I found a lump by accident, mm. and I'll be perfectly honest, I spoke about this a lot of time. I was pleasuring myself, and I grabbed my breast in ecstasy, and there was a lump. I wasn't checking my boobs. Right, yeah. I, I have small breasts. I didn't think I'd have to worry. I thought I'd notice if anything changed. Yeah. And I didn't even think about breast cancer. I thought mm. breast cancer meant you had to have breasts. And I've never had a relationship with my chest because it's so small. Mm. Um, so it was a shock. So I thought it was a cyst. I've had cysts in my ovaries for years. Yeah. Like I didn't think anything of it. But when it didn't go away, my best friend um, and I were in a tent in Glastonbury. It was so funny. And um, a bit worse for wear. And I went, feel this. So she felt it. She went, that's big. I went, it is, isn't it? It's sore. Yeah. You need to get that checked, mate. You need to go and get it checked. It's probably yeah, yeah, a cyst. Yeah. So when I came back from Glastonbury, I just moved house. So I didn't have a GP. So I went to a walking clinic in a hospital near me. And I said, look, can you just check this? I've got a lump. It's not going away. It's sore. Just sort it out, basically. And they felt it. They went, yeah, it's a significant lump. But you're young, no family history. We're not worried. Yeah. You need to be referred by a GP. And I'm like, well, I'm in a hospital. Can you not just scan me now? Yeah. Like, this is long. When I did get referred, eventually, it was like three months later. It's because... Really? Yeah, because I just didn't... Because I'd left that place and he said, you need Also, if they say you don't need to be concerned, it's the doctor. Like, you're, they're the ones who... And I was in the hospital and I didn't have a GP at that point and I wasn't rushing to get one. Like, Mm. it was the middle of summer. I just moved in with a new group of friends. I was having the best time ever. Like, the last thing I wanted to be doing was going to the doctors, like, worrying about something. And I genuinely didn't think it would be cancer. Like, why would it be? So I went off and it was only my mum at the end of July, beginning of August, like, have you had that checked again? I was like, no. She went, Lauren, go and get it done, please. She was like, just write it off then. Mm. And I was like, all right, cool. And by then, luckily, I could go and register. And I have to say, again, my the receptionist 
at my GP were phenomenal. Yeah. I literally stood there, gave them the form to register. And they said, we'll give you a call in two weeks for triage and what they do to get you booked in properly. And I said, I've actually found a lump and they registered me on the spot. Really? I was in, yeah, in the GP three days later. That's amazing. And another three days later, it was in the breast clinic and mm. I had biopsies and everything done that day. So within two weeks, I was diagnosed. As much as it was short, now knowing what I know about cancer and the work that I do, that period of time, a lot could have changed. Sure. And that's what scares me. Because mm. I'm like, that could have been a very different picture because I'd just gone off and left it. And that's what I think looking back now, the frustration of how the structure of the NHS can sometimes work or certain trusts of the NHS work is that I was in the hospital presenting with a lump three months before and I was diagnosed in the same hospital when actually I could have got diagnosis there and then and just gone straight in and maybe would have avoided chemo or something, mm. you know? It does make a difference. Yeah, of course. And in that time, in that kind of space of two weeks that you had, you know, the biopsy and then got the diagnosis. Mm. I assume once you'd kind of had that biopsy, I assume you probably weren't really thinking about it. No, opposite actually. Oh, because, really? because of the consultant. Right. So she felt it. She was like, yeah, let's go and check it. And the thing is, they know what they're looking at. They do it every day. And when I was on that table and they were ultrasounding it, like they were just chatting, all really cool and everything. And then all of a sudden, like the radiologist or radiographer, I'll never get it right, called the consultant over and was like, what do you think to this? And they were looking and they said, well, biopsy it. And I was like, okay. And then I went back to see the oncology consultant who was like the initial person who Did they call you in? Yeah, you sit in a corridor. Everyone who's had a biopsy or a scan and they found something that they want to check, they will go back and see the consultant. So I went in and she said, okay, so we found something suspicious. We biopsied it. We will be back in contact with you um, next week. Come into the clinic, bring someone with you. If it's cancer, we'll start talking about. And I was like... Right, so the second they start being, yeah. Yeah, and it's the way to like bring someone with you. And I was like, well, what if it's not cancer? Yeah, then I've just wasted someone's day. And she just went, have you had a trauma to the breast? And I said, not that I'm aware of. She went, we'll see you in a week and bring someone with you. And I, she was telling yeah. me without telling me. They know what they know. So for the whole week, I was telling my friends and family, I was like, I think I've got cancer. And they were like, no. Yeah. And I was really hoping they were wrong, but I knew it. Yeah. I did. So I just, I mean, it was carnival. I was out partying for that week. I was like enjoying myself because I had a hunch it might be like that for a while. So yeah. Yeah. And then you got a call, you came back in, Mm -hmm. you got the diagnosis. What was your immediate mindset in that moment? I thought I was going to die. Yeah. And then when they told me I wasn't, I was like, what do you mean? That's what cancer does. Right. And then they asked me if I wanted kids. And I was like, hang on a minute. I can't take this all in. Do I want kids? I've got cancer. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, don't, I haven't had a text back in ages. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And they, that was the kind of stuff that really drew me to start doing Girl vs. Cancer because there was all these things. You think of cancer and you just think death and being bald for a while. That's what you're shown. Mm-hmm. You don't think of all the nuances. So yeah. then it was like my work, my home, my, like, my friendships, relationships, sex fertility all these things all of a sudden you're just like oh yeah they they will be impacted as well and I was having to navigate that and I'm sure in terms of the resources that are out there because the picture of cancer is older and it's Mm. kind of portrayed in that way I'm sure when you then pop on google and say I've been asked if I want kids today yeah because I've just got a diagnosis probably a lot of people because statistically it's going to be older diagnoses they're past that point yeah 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 yeah, so I can imagine nothing. there wasn't that much out there to... No, and that's why I spoke so openly about it. And I was really lucky that they we had time because of the stage my cancer was at to do the egg retrievals. I've got, mm-hmm. I always say I've got nine eggs on ice. Yeah. I'm so grateful for that. But that, that time was so strange because I just felt like I adulted very hard within 24 well, hours. They, I mean, there's nothing like trauma to grow you up in a second. Very quickly. And nothing like trauma that could kill, like something that right. could actually end your life. Yeah. And I think that was the moment, mate, where I kind of was like, right, all of a sudden those weeks between diagnosis and chemotherapy starting were when I really just kind of sat there and I was like I have been wasting so much of my life Mm. I have been numb to it through drugs and drink and sex Mm -hmm. I've not been allowing myself real connection I've been doubting myself in work I've been comfortably numb I was waiting for life to happen to me that's what I was doing I was 31 I was like I will all work out in the end and all of a sudden I was like but what if the end is sooner than I think it is and I haven't actually made any real effort to progress my life in the way that I want what do I actually want and it really does shake you up in that respect. And I think, you know, if I would say anything is a gift 
out of something so traumatic is that it has made me a better person. It has made me live fuller. It's made me take risks. It's made me love harder. Mm. I would not have been doing that if it hadn't been for yeah. being the illness. I don't think I would have. I think it would take me into my like mid forties for me to find that about myself. And people always do say that. You see those kind of like Twitter threads mm. where it's like someone on their you know deathbed yeah. saying like oh these are the 10 things and you read them over and over and you're like yeah sure yeah well, I'm working for this promotion so actually yeah. like I'm not gonna see any friends and I'm yeah. not gonna spend time in my relationship or I've had trauma and therefore like I'm not gonna open up to anyone yeah. or whatever it might be what were the like immediate biggest things that you I guess changed in that way I mean your mindset mm. I'm sure was taken up fully by yeah. survival and you know yeah. getting through the next the next few months the yeah. next year and everything but I can imagine there were some irreversible changes literally in that moment in terms yeah. of the way you, you know, look yeah. around when you're outside and all, yeah. of, all of that. I call it the fuck it button. And I think you like, all of a sudden you're just like, I need to tell people I love them. I want, I need to book this trip. I need to do. I've realized now that my trauma response is doing. So in everything in life, like if something bad happens, I do. I'll throw myself into something, whether that be relationship, whether that be partying, whether it be work, I do. And what happened was when I got sick, I was like, I need to do something. And I think it was distraction almost. Mm -hmm, so course. like the next day, I remember my friend, my really like best friend, Sejo and Becca, like Becca lived around the corner from my mom and I was back at my mom's because it was all a lot. And Sejo came to see me and we were walking through the park and I said to my mom, I wasn't checking my boobs, young women aren't checking the boobs. I'm going to make t-shirts. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get all the influencers because I worked in influencer marketing like, to like promote them and we're going to raise money and we're going to raise awareness and... They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I started chemo and I spent a lot of time at home and you'd be on steroid highs for like three days, mate, you don't sleep. You're on steroids and you're like, mm, 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 mm. must be like a pill in the club, you know, like, da, 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 yeah, can't stop. Woo, won't stop. So my mum would wake up in the morning at like 3 a.m., go to the toilet. And she'd like, what are you doing? Get off your laptop. What are you doing? Like, you should be resting. I'm like, I can't rest. I'm on steroids, mm. mother. But I channeled all of that into Girl vs. Cancer. And, you know, that's what I mean by all my skill sets came to Together to help other people and in a way that I never could have predicted before I got sick so like all of a sudden it's like everything I knew about marketing everything I knew about social media my aesthetic eye I love photography I love talking and writing so it all felt so natural it wasn't yeah. like oh I really sat and strategized this like mm. I literally just did what felt natural in the moment and all I wanted to do was help other women who might find themselves in my situation in the future I never thought about it being a long-term career. Mm. I wanted to just make a difference and I just wanted to survive this. Mm. And, you know, it just kept growing and moving. And every single time I like challenged myself and thought, I wonder if I could get into like a big brand and make t-shirts. Mm. I wonder if I could get this person to come into the campaign. I wonder if I could get volunteers, things I would never ask for help for. What have I got to lose? Am yeah. I going to die? If someone says no, no. So I just went, let's give it a go. And the mm. minute I stopped putting things off and the minute I stopped doubting whether it would happen, things happen. Mm. And I'm sure you can relate to that in terms of your business, like have backing yourself and going, don't ask, don't get is my big motto in life. Mm. I'm like, I'm just going to ask. People can think I'm cheeky. I don't care. Yeah. I'm doing it for a good cause. So I will always ask the question. If it's a no, it's a no. I don't take it personally. Yeah. I think I did before I got sick. I took right. it very personally. So let's talk about those biggest mindset shifts that you mm. had and like the the biggest, I guess, changes in the way you see life, the way you live life. Mm -hmm. I guess the biggest one then from what you've said mm. is that kind of like, fuck it, what's the worst that mm. can happen? Like yeah. just go all in, yeah. live. What would you say the other things that you kind of really learned? Wow. I think it's a big takeaway for me is you're the master of your own destiny, not the victim of your circumstance. And I think a lot of people will sit and go, life's tough and I can't do this. I can't, I can't. And it's like, whoa. I think people think going for things in life and shifting things and going for big dreams that you want is this big moment mm -hmm. and everything falls into place. It's not. It's tiny little actions mm -hmm. every single day over a really long time. Mm -hmm. But you can get there. And so that's for me was the big mindset shift. It's like... I'm looking where I am now. You mean the big C's coming to an end. My community is now a charity. That is six years of work. That is six years of just following my gut instinct. And, you know, I know that if you do anything with integrity and that lights you up and you follow that breadcrumb, mate, you're going to be all right. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, saying yes and going down past that. Your, uh, you force yourself down a road you shouldn't be going down. Mm. And if you just stop for a minute and go, that door's closed, that's closed for a reason. So mm. what is opening up for you? How do you pivot? Because 
I really believe life finds a way. Yeah. And if you actually follow your instinct and your gut and make those small decisions, prime example, right? Last year, I moved in on my own. Mm -hmm. I was in a point last year, this time last year, where I didn't know what my living situation would be. Mm -hmm. Both my flatmates were moving out. I was mentally in a very, very bad way. I now mm -hmm. know it was a bad state of like almost like psychosis. I was so mm -hmm. anxious and unwell that it sent me loops. I hadn't been looking after myself properly. And I was terrified. I was like, oh my God, I, I don't want to leave this home. I've made it so nice. I need to get new flatmates. But then the thought of having strangers in my home was like, ooh. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like this opportunity opened up. One of my best friends had this home in Leighton and she was moving out to move to Lisbon. And she was like, do you want to take over the tenancy? I'm renting it off a friend. There's no deposit. It's affordable. It's 200 pounds more than I was paying. Right. But because of my mindset then, because I was in a bad way, I was like, it's 200 pounds more, I can't afford it. I, I've got all this furniture that won't fit in the house. All of these reasons to not, mm. because I was so stuck and stubborn and forcing myself to stay in a situation. And the minute I woke up, like four days later, bolt upright in bed on the Monday, I was like, what am I doing? Mm. Sell the furniture. Mm. If it's too much to pay in rent, ask for a reduction, ask if you could do it. Yeah. So I asked the question, she could afford, she said, yeah, I can take you down 200 pounds. I said, can I like move all your furniture out, make sure I can bring mine in so I can make it really my home? Can I repaint? Yes. And then I was like, all right. So then I made the decision. And when I tell you I made that decision, everything started to click in my life. Mm. And you, it made me just realize like, there's these key moments where nothing is moving. Like you're pushing on this door that won't bloody open, but there's a window ajar. What right. are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was, that's been a big mindset shift for me as well, because the cancer thing, threw my world as I knew it into disarray and pulled the rug. So I had to kind of reevaluate mm. all my plans. So what it's taught me is that life is gonna yeah. go way different. As long as you follow your true north, as long as you like, take a beat and go, okay, rather than seeing like trauma or things not working out, bad breakups, work, like losing your job yeah. as moments of crisis, see them as moments of opportunity. And I'm the biggest hype girl of everyone mm. in my life. Yeah. I buzz off the people around me. I love to see them thrive. Anything I can do to support that, I'm in. Yeah. And I just, but the way my mind will talk to me about the things that I do. So yesterday I had some amazing meetings about girl versus cancer. Things that I have been dreaming about for the last year are all starting to happen. Yes, it's overwhelming, but it's overwhelming with opportunity. I'm more than capable of handling this if I do it in the right way. I genuinely have to sit there sometimes and be like, yes, it's overwhelming, but the only reason I ever feel stressed with overwhelm is because I put the pressure on myself to do it all, do it all now, do it on my own. I went into having cancer, never have run a business, never have run a charity, never have put myself in the public eye so vulnerably. I am learning on the job. Mm. So why am I putting this pressure on myself to know what it's like to hire a team, to know how to go out and get donations and funding, to know these things? I all of a sudden last year went, it's not my job to know all these no. things. It's my job to be me yeah. and then to get people who know what the fuck they're doing mm. and work with me to be, the, we can make a bigger difference. And the minute I had that mindset shift and go, these like, these amazing things have happened. I've had a stressful day, but it's a stressful day because all of this has come at once I and know. it's amazing. I don't know when it like changed for me and when I started being such a, not like a Debbie Downer because I'm quite like a positive person, mm. but when I did consistently start telling myself that my life was not hard, but it was yeah. incredibly stressful. It's like, sure, but you know when someone said, when someone's like, yeah, how are you? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm busy. Yeah. And they're like, if they reply like, oh great, amazing, yeah. busy's good. And you're like, yeah, you know what it is. It is good. Like, why am I telling myself like with all of this opportunity yeah. I've got with like work, with seeing friends, with all of this, like why am I telling myself this is saturated with like bad, stressful things? Yeah. Sure, it's stressful and it's stressful because mm. it's pushing you and it's putting you out yeah. of your comfort zone and it's maybe, get, you know, and sure there are times where you've overfilled it, but you've yeah. overfilled it because you've been overfilled with opportunity and like exactly. all of that and just being able to tell yourself like I'm trying so hard mm. this year like classic new year new me mm. like more new year new like mm. mindset just yeah. like stop telling yourself you're tired stop telling yeah. yourself you're exhausted stop telling yourself your day's been stressful yeah start telling yourself like yeah it's been a good day like had a few tough meetings but yeah. like you know yeah. I get those meetings because I get those meetings yeah like, exactly that's amazing. I'm one of those I love like moon cycles and all yeah. this stuff like today is Friday the 13th and I've Ooh. had messages from mates today, yeah, like, oh, Friday the 13th. And I'm like, no, but Friday the 13th, my nanny says is a lucky day. Mm. And then really weirdly, it popped up on my feed, like um, this um, wonderful author and like witch, 
um, Lisa Lister, she's amazing. Her book, yeah. which actually changed my life and like made me as a woman, like really understand myself a lot more. But she has put up today that the reason why Friday the 13th is, was seen as like bad is patriarchal because it was claimed as the witch's number because there's 13 moon cycles in the year and it, so women I have like... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com so they've always seen the 13 as like a really powerful potent number Mm. and I thought oh my god that's so weird that's popped up because my nan always said it was a lucky day I didn't understand why she and another person have said in um like on their social medias or like on podcasts start seeing your life as your soulmate Mm. your life wants what's what's best for you so if you imagine your life is your best mate and actually like when things happen like you said things work out for me if one day, you know, like you said, like you miss a train and you can't go somewhere, mm. it's finally what else presents itself that day. And maybe that's what you needed without yeah. realizing. It's like surrendering to the process of your life rather than fighting against it. Mm. You start seeing your life as your soulmate, which isn't always easy to do every day. But when I'm having days where I'm like, ooh, tense, I'm like, okay, breathe. And I start seeing my life as my soulmate. Like, my life wants what's best for me. It doesn't work out how I want, but maybe my life wants different. So mm. today's meant to be a chill day. I'm taking it as a chill day. Yeah. It just makes it easier to manage yeah. <laughs> as a human, especially when you're, I think when you say you have stressful days, I would look at you and go, I see stress, but it's probably more pressure yeah. because of the job that you do than stress. Yeah. And it's also like the difficult thing is like, you're not trying to do by getting into this mindset is like cancel the fact that you can have trauma and stress Mm. and overwork and burnout and like a horrible thing happened to you and all of these things like it's probably not helpful someone being like but aren't you glad that happened for your like career you're like literally imagine the shit I've gone through it was like oh but like you'll have a bad day and they go but at least you're here and it's like, so I can't be pissed <laughs> right, off ever sure. again. So I'm like, never allowed to like have a shit yeah, fit. Because... But do you know what? I will be honest. So my really lovely friend, Dame Deb, died last year. And she died like at 40, so young, so full of life, like even to the very end. And one thing she said, and she said it in her eulogy and she said it to us, and I, I'm living by it at the moment, is that she said, if you wallow and if you're like wallowing, even if it's like sadness for me or anything you're doing, you're not get, living, like giving me justice. You're wasting, like, she would have give, given anything, like, precious time for one more second, one more minute, one more hour, one more day to do and live. So when I have days where I am overwhelmed and stressed, I allow myself to have that moment, process it, feel it, be like, tomorrow's a new day, and then, like, come back at life again. Because I do think about that a lot. I'm like, I don't want to waste time unnecessarily wallowing it's okay to have down days and be stressed and stuff but you can stay in those moments and Mm. I think I learned that it's okay to be afraid and traumatized and go through sadness but it's almost like you have to make a plan to get out of the hole yeah and it's also like when it's not about promoting suppression like none of this is about suppressing your emotions it's about feeling your emotions and being able to process them in order to be able to move on and like that doesn't mean that something isn't going to be like hugely traumatic and horrible and you wish it had never happened but it's about being like okay but it happened turn this into something good because like when you start thinking of that like my life just works out for me it's like you do just start shifting that in terms of the way of like, that doesn't mean that that wasn't a horror, like someone did something terrible to me or like, you know, never taking that away and never taking away the blame from other people and like all of these terrible things that can happen, but also being able to be like, but in order for me to be able to like still make the most of my life or my day or my week or whatever it might be, like what can I do to turn this into a positive? Yeah, and it's it's like, and also it's the surrendering. Like some days you're going to be so 
beaten up by life that you're not going to want to. And it's like, if you're feeling that you need to take to bed early, if you're feeling that you need some time, if you're feeling like you need therapy, if you're feeling like I need a break, I need to go away, if you're feeling like you need help with the kids or the dog, in my case, like, do it, ask for the help. Because I know firsthand the state that I ended up in beginning of last year and the Mm. end of the year before was because I didn't do that. Mm. It was because every time something bad happened, I would do something, whether that would get, be getting back right. with an ex or throwing myself into work. I wasn't allowing myself space to grieve, to process, to heal. Mm. Something so traumatic happens. It doesn't, it's not just like, oh, I did a week's worth mm. of therapy, I'm fine. It's years of embedded trauma. Then that will, like, other things will happen in the process, you know? Like, just because one bad thing happens enough yeah. doesn't mean it will never happen again. And so my dear friend, Simon, who's not with us anymore, she was one of the most incredible women I've ever met in that when she was dying, she was fully in her death. So she surrendered to the process. She wanted to feel all of the emotions. She wanted to understand what was happening to her body, to her brain. She was very articulate with it. And rather than fighting against it, she went with it. And I learned so much from that. And she's always just said like, sometimes you just need to surrender. Mm. And that's what I've done. Like, that's my big learning in um, like the last five years. It isn't surrendering oh I just give up and throw my hands up it's surrendering to wherever you're being taken like this is the journey that's just let go see where like meet your body meet your life meet your brain where it is yeah where is this and then once you've settled and landed then you're in a place to make decisions Mm. and I think that's when you make the right ones because you're not acting off of too much emotion like Mm. my decisions are always made with the heart always heart-led yeah but I have to try and use my head in terms of, is this the right decision now or whatever? Yeah. But reacting off of the back of it, like an emotion, like a knee jerk is never the right move. And I used to be terrible at that. Yeah. And I think it is like a, I don't know. I think we have this assumption that we know ourselves Mm -hmm. well, and therefore we always know what's best for us. Yeah. And I actually think we need to, at the very least, know the areas that we don't know well. Oh, yeah. So I don't know when I need to slow down. I don't Mm. know when I need to say no rather than say yes. I don't Mm. know all of these. And I'm training myself better and I'm noticing patterns. Well, you're self-aware, that's a start, mate. Right, well, it's probably like, but, you know, I'll see an opportunity and I'll be like, I don't know whether I'm self-sabotaging by saying yes or Mm. no. And you start to notice patterns. It's like, you're probably saying yes really quickly and then it's wrong or you're probably saying no because it's a uh, fear of it or because yeah. it's like you're telling yourself you need to slow down but you don't actually you're yeah. kind of fine like all of this and so I think this like process of like learning yourself and even like it sounds so stupid but like even taking notes of like don't yeah. make a decision on a bad day or yeah. like don't do this or don't do this and like actually understanding where you don't know yourself yeah. and where you're probably never going to know yourself so say yeah. if you as you say you're a doer so something bad happens to you you distract yourself yeah. by doing more yeah. understanding that like okay maybe after something bad happens you don't decide something for 24 yeah. hours afterwards yeah. or like whatever it might be and just like writing like an instruction manual for yourself I, like it sounds so stupid so I read a book and I cannot for the life of me remember what it's called now but I read it in Mexico beginning of last year when I was in a bit of a bad way my friend recommended it and it's amazing it is about divine timing and giving Mm. over to the divine and just going yeah sure right if you and there were so many things in my life that I was like a real like crunch point and I couldn't figure it out I couldn't figure it out I was like what's the right decision what's what, what should I do next and rather than making the decision like they advised in the book to make they call it the god box but I'm not religious so I just like called it the box and I would write on a post-it like whatever it's like, dear universe or dear divine, I'm struggling with this. Please help me find the right conclusion at the right time in the right way for the greater good of all. Because you don't want to call in something that could be damaging to other people. Right, when you're being like, oh, I hope this relationship lasts forever. And you're like, actually. Yeah, exactly, bye. So I I wrote it all and I fold it up and I put it in the box. And almost the action of doing it is like, you're coming back to it later already. Yeah. Once again, TikTok. I scroll past a lot of the things that are more like about not spirituality I would say that I'm quite like a spiritual person Mm. in terms of like understanding myself and like the world Mm. and all of those things I'll probably have a once a week I'll have a mindless scroll yeah the rest of the time I know it's bad for me because I think it's relaxing me and it's actually stimulating my brain it's overstimulating we just need to go on this so we can keep up to date with the kids well exactly exactly no I like that one I'll be using that um (laughs) but essentially there was this one thing which was like and I was having a bit of a tough time and it was essentially like 
today's the best day to manifest and it said like write a diary entry as if you are this date in 2023 Mm -hmm. so you're writing a diary entry you're being like this was really shit last year but this is really good I'm so glad I have this like all of this like you are writing yourself in the future and Mm. I used to do this with professional bios Mm. so you know how you have like a professional bio that it's like Grace Beverly is this this and this I used to write my professional bio in the future so it's like she's had this this and this things I hadn't got yeah but it's like putting yourself yeah in I've position. done the same thing it's great it's, great it's a really really good exercise and I did this thing where I wrote a diary entry in the year in advance and it had things about my work about my personal life about my home about financials mm. like all of these different things and I wrote it and like I didn't know that I wanted half of those things and I wasn't able to kind of like cement exactly what I wanted yeah. until I wrote down that diary yeah. entry and I ended up writing like four pages you do. Of, like, on your own you're, you're just you're like, like yeah, yeah babe yeah exactly like it probably took me like an hour mm. um and I wrote it and then I found it the other day and I read it and like so much of it had happened and I was like I don't think I even knew that I wanted that before that point and I'm not even a person who like regularly manifests or regularly does gratitude or any of those things it doesn't you know it doesn't feed me in the same way as it does some people but like I did that and I was like huh like even just as a method of goal setting it's so hard to understand what you really want and sometimes you just need to sit there and write a like a literal future diary entry because people think like manifestation and stuff is this idea that like you write down I want this and it comes to you it's not it's like getting really clear about what's important to you and what you'd like to call Mm. into your life because then without realizing it almost you start to make decisions and gravitate towards those things and also what's really good about it is you will end up gravitating towards the things that you've put in there Mm. And then what's so nice about it, if it's not going to work out, it doesn't work out. And then that's ticked off your list. It's not ruminating anymore. Because I've got so many friends. I had a conversation with my mate yesterday. She's wanted to do this literary podcast for ages. You know who I'm talking about. I'm not naming you. Um, And she is like, I need to do this pitch. I'm like, you've been talking about it for two years. Yeah. I was like, do you know what, babe? She's like, but I've got imposter syndrome. I'm like, make the pitch, go out and do it. Start doing it. Even six months, it's not working out. You've ticked it off your list. It's done. It doesn't take up any more space. But at the minute... It's a thing that you've not done and now you're thinking about it all the time Mm. and beating yourself up. I'm shit. I've not done this. I've not done this. It's such a drain of energy and it comes from a lack mindset. Mm. It's like there's more than enough for everyone in this world. Put out what you want to put out. Yeah. But do it because you want to do it and love it, not because you want to be like splashed all over a magazine. Yeah. I also feel like with those imposter syndrome things, it's like, do you know what? No one's going to care if you don't do this. Like the only person who's going to care if you don't do this is yourself. So true. Because you're sitting there and you're not doing this. And I completely understand imposter syndrome. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of it comes from... Like, I'm the queen of it. But yeah, and it's like, a lot of it comes from terrible things in terms of like not Mm. seeing ourselves in positions like that. And like, as, Mm. you know, as women Mm. or as a minority or whatever Mm. it might be. Like, but I will say as well, when you're stopping yourself doing something because of self-doubt, like at the end of the day, at the end of this week, if you've said you're going to do something and you haven't done it, no one else gives a fuck. Yeah. It's only you yeah, it's true. that you're not doing that for. Another thing I thought was really interesting in terms of that like manifesting thing. So me and my friend a while ago were basically saying, because we haven't like grown up around a lot of like, I don't know, I'd say like romantic love, like seeing it yeah. really like work out whatever Mm -hmm. it might be and so we were both saying that we're kind of like quite naysayers in terms of being like "Mm, Mm -hmm. does it really you know like is it you know like sure it's great but like is it you know all of it yeah yeah, exactly like all of these things and we were like do you know what we're never gonna have a healthy relationship in the way that we see what we want or like know what we want to go for if we aren't able to like see ourselves in Mm -hmm. that position yeah and it wasn't even necessarily that we like wanted that at that time but it was kind of just being like we actually have no tangible vision in our head of what that would look like yeah and therefore how on earth are we expected to like say go on a date and think it's a good date and you know maybe get into a relationship with someone down the line whatever Mm -hmm. if we don't know what good looks like and we don't know what we would be going for and literally we were like we need to sit down and we need to literally write like what does this look like? Because mm-hmm. we're so, we've been so like not surrounded by it that and we actually have no vision of like, what also, does it look like? You know, like, like you said, on TikTok and Instagram and stuff, there's all these things about green flags, red flags, all these things. That it's actually overwhelming. Like we've been thrown at us like what a good relationship looks like. Yeah, I always think that's really, really interesting, especially when looking at social media and it's like you're fed this, like we are, we think we're moving forwards in a lot of progressive ways, which we are in certain yeah. senses, but actually in terms of enforcing traditional um, 
kind of views of like relationships in terms of what's good, what's bad. Yes. I think we're actually like... And be- judging other people's relationships, mm. so it's not your business. No, not at all. Were you dating at the time that you got your diagnosis? I was shagging. Yeah, good. I was, I was shagging and yeah, I, to be honest, I'd been like burned and I think... I would always say, like, when it comes to romantic love and relationships, that's my Achilles heel in life. Everything else in life I can work towards, I work hard for, I'm comfortable with and I accept. I really struggle with the element of bringing someone else in who can have an impact on my heart. And that's just from being burned. But who hasn't been burned? Mm-hmm. And I think when I got told I had cancer, I went, oh, my God, I don't want to die. And, my, and the consultant looked at me, I went, I've not got married or had kids. I just was like, oh, my God, I didn't know I, want those, didn't know I wanted those things. And actually, what's been really wonderful um, over the last five years is challenging my relationships with that. Because like, I've never felt like I have to be a mum. Yeah. I've always felt like I'd love a family. Mm-hmm. It feels different. Because mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean I would give birth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that family union I love. And, but I do, did always know that I wanted to find a partner that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. I'm not religious. It's not like this thing. But I just knew that I wanted to... I think it's... I'm a Taurian, right? I love stability. And I'm very like, loving and loyal. So for me, that feels safe. But I think growing up, you, ha- you panic, you're never going to find it. And you like, so you go for the wrong people and out of desperation, date the wrong people. And when I got sick, I'd said that to myself. So what do you do yeah, when you realise, yeah, yeah. oh my God, I have been closing off my heart to the world. I need to make myself vulnerable if I'm to love again. I know I'll apply for first dates. So I actually applied for it before I got sick. It's the only logical It's the only sense. logical conclusion. <laughs> So yeah, I did. I applied for it before I got sick. They called me back when I was in chemo. I explained to them I was sick and they were like, do you still want to come on it? I mean, really bad due diligence. I was like, absolutely not. I look like a potato. Never going to happen. And they said, well, we love your application. Please reapply um, when you're ready to. So when I was on the mend and my hair had grown back and I was feeling more like myself, I applied and I got on instantly. Like I did the application. I was like, did my interview in September and in October I've been flown mm. to Na- uh, Napoli where they filmed the hotel. And it was this big moment because I think in my head where I'd gotten cancer free, where I'd um, started having this conversation on a podcast, I'd gone back to work, everything was moving in the right direction. I'd almost convinced myself this was the moment. I'm going to find the love of my life. It's happening now. God has taken the wheel. I've not chosen him. They've chosen for me. La la. Whereas actually if I went on it now, I would take it with such a big pinch of salt and have a laugh. But I went on it and then I got matched with someone that I know. And it was when he walked through the door. What are the chances of that? I know. Well, see, this is me again, like the little romantic head. So he walked in and my heart sank. So I was like, he doesn't fancy me. Like, this is such a waste of time. It's never going to happen. But then because my life had completely changed, I was like, who to say he doesn't fancy you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's to say? Which is the right mindset to go into it with. But so I kind of went, all right. And I I did say to him at the start of the date, which they didn't show, I said to him, I said, what should we do? Should we have a mate date or a date date? Because we knew each other and I didn't want to make myself vulnerable. Yeah, if, it if you was, were then, in, like if there was no chance. If there was no chance. And he put his hand on my thigh and went, let's see what happens. So I was like, I am in. Yeah, perfect. So I fully opened myself up. Yeah. And I said yes and he said no. And then when he walked out of the room, I burst into tears. It's on national television. I cried over a boy. We've all got the same friends. It was probably the most vulnerable and open I've been in terms of my heart ever and I took a lot of learnings from it and it it really hurt me him saying Mm. no because I thought as a friend you could have just said yes he was moving away the week after I had no idea he didn't tell me so I was like you could have just told me that you could have said let's have a mate date we would have had the best time ever like I just felt like mugged off and made a fool of and embarrassed and I think that has a lot of similar traits to being cheated on or, you know, someone breaking up with you and going out with your friend. Like, all the things that happened to me in the past that have made me hardened. Yeah, and it was on your... It was a series of things for you in your life that had led up to this moment. Mm-hmm. So perhaps, like, in that moment, he didn't know that it would have, like, such gravity. He had no idea. And, or, but for Which I think is... But, like, for you in that moment, it's been, like, you'd reapplied, you'd gone out there. I assume, I mean, from what you said, it sounds like it was the first time in a while you were being, like, I'm putting myself out there, like, I'm doing all of this. That has such gravity for you in terms of, like, then just being, like, no. But then knowing, so they filmed it the year before it aired. So for that whole year, not knowing what the edit was going to be, for the whole year, not knowing, knowing that that I have cried in that room that I, like, what are they going to do? And the thing is with it... Did you contact them about it? Like, did you say... We'd been talking about it. Like, we still are in contact now. Like, I love him to pieces. I think he did me dirty on that show, but I know it wouldn't have been intentional because I know he's got a good heart. So, and I do feel bad because he got a lot of stick yeah. afterwards. Um, but what happened was, 
I went on that show, I made myself vulnerable. Off of the back of that, my like old management, but my first management saw me and contacted me, massive agency. That like loads of things opened up for me and it started this snowball yeah. effect. The podcast, everything, and it, and it did change my life. And actually it just kind of almost was like a payoff. Like I put my heart out there and I gave myself over and then I kind of got noticed for that and people went, that's really brave. Yeah. And people can relate to this girl and things started to happen. So it kind of made me realize that, like, yeah, I didn't get romantic love, but I got the love of so many people watching that could relate to me. Yeah, but it was another one of those things of like, everything just works out for me. It's yeah. like, I thought in that moment that what I needed was romantic love. Yeah. What I needed was exactly what ended up happening. Yeah. Like, you know, say, okay, say if he had said yes, yeah. and then also had gone away the next week. Sure, he could have done that yeah. to save face, and it would have mm. been like, probably the nice thing yeah. to do, especially as you knew each other. Yeah. But you then, I assume, wouldn't have come out of your shell in the same way on, yeah. on TV. You probably then wouldn't have been contacted in the same way because yeah. it wouldn't have made such a moment. Like, all mm. of the, not that you wouldn't have been anywhere and it was amazing, but like, no, as in, like, no, but it, it would just have. have been a different moment it on TV. Have. It was like, over two episodes. They, like, cliffhangered it and everything. So it was, and also what was so weird is that the episode aired the night before Rachel, my other podcast co-host, died. So it was this perfect media storm I, I was struggling with, but it just kind of, the way everything happened was so surreal, God, but I now know it was probably one of the most formative weeks of my mm. adult life, other than the diagnosis and other things, but yeah. it, it changed a lot. And, and then in terms of like dating, I have made myself vulnerable, but I think what happened is I got to a certain point where you want it so much that it is bad for you. And I, I'm not an apps now or anything because I just find they don't really work for me. Mm. I don't do things half-assed, mm. never have. And I don't mm. think I ever will because if I do, it means my heart's not in it. And so when I go on the apps, it's like, I really want to meet someone and I'm dating these people who aren't right for me and clinging on to things that don't work for me. And I know it. My inner self is going, this is not it. Yeah. This is not it. And now I'm in this place where actually, rather than putting energy into finding someone that will fill this void in my life, I have created a life that is so abundant in love. And it's not necessarily romantic love, it's friends, it's family, it's my dog, it's my home, it's the way I love myself, it's my work. It's so much greater than that, that I know, like, people have asked me about dating, and I'm like, I know, and I can't explain it to people, but it's here. I know the relationship I'm meant to being is going to happen. Yeah. I am not going to go and spend energy trying to make it happen, because everything else in my life, I've surrendered to. Yeah. And actually, the best thing I've done is made a life that anyone who comes in now would add value to. And yeah. actually, I've made a life that I don't want to risk. So if someone comes in and they treat me badly and they make my world wobble now, they're out. Yeah, which I think as well, like, as in looking at how that's, that's having, mm. like, meant to happen in the way that, like, yeah, sure, you could have been mm. in a relationship at the time. Of the I could have been in a relationship now. You could, yeah. any, like, I think this is so important. Yeah, like, you could be in a relationship. what I often tell, like, we all have friends who, like, put a lot, a lot, a lot mm. of emphasis on and often end up getting back with the wrong people mm. and like all of this, like it's such a natural thing. Yeah. But being able to say, being like, look around, you could be in a relationship mm. right now. Do you know how empowering it is knowing that you are choosing not to be in a relationship? Yeah. And you think you couldn't. You could go on an app tomorrow, yeah. find someone who's also in a place like you and really wants a relationship yeah. and isn't right for you and is a bit, I don't know, a bit manipulative or like any of these things. Yeah. And you can do it. You can do that, but you are choosing not to. And I think yeah. that's really, really important to remember, especially in a point where like, it is so frustrating to be in a point where you want a relationship yeah. and you are not finding one. Like, yeah. Of course it is. Like, yeah. it is torture in a way yeah. because you're like, I'm ready ready for this and all of that but in that time for you to have built a life where you were not a half to come mm. into a relationship and make a whole mm. like you are a hundred percent and anything on top of that would bring your life to 200 percent or just, an addition or whatever I just think I wanted some I think for so long like my idea of a relationship was someone that made me feel a certain way and I've managed to make myself feel that way all on my own so actually having someone to share this amazing ride called life with would be brilliant. But I don't want A person to share it with. No. I want B person to share it with. And I'm very open to dating. I'm very open to the right person. But I've I've done the apps. They don't work for me. So rather than, I would rather just not date anyone mm. and then meet someone randomly and then date them. And that may not work out. And mm. they may not date anyone again for a year. I am fine with that. Yeah. I absolutely, 100% know that by me choosing, making this decision, it's leading me to the right person in the right way. Yeah. And 
I, I just, I'm really excited. Like you can tell when I talk about it. Like I'm yeah. really excited for that moment because I know it won't be forced and I know it will be good and your you relationships will come are at hard, the right time. But it will be easy. And I just, you know, especially like, I'm sure you can relate to this. When you're someone who's built a life for themselves with success on their own and have a lot going, like I'm a busy woman, the amount of men I've dated that do not know how to be with me because I have a profile and people know who I am and I work really hard and I do all these things and I'm not... At and the, they're not going to be your main concentration. Like you, no. you believe in, you know, like you love love and you're going to yeah. really spend, a, you know, you want to spend a lot of time with them and you're yes. really going to care about them, but they are not going to be your entire world. Yes. And that challenges some views of dating, especially as yeah. a woman, especially yes. when you care that much about your mm-hmm. work. Like there will be more mm. men out there who think that that's probably not what they want to go for yeah. than it is and the opposite. Fine. And also you added on the layer of me, Grace, where I have had cancer and there will be people. I had my ex-boyfriend turn around to me and you're going to die. He was, when we were dating for the first three months, I didn't know where I stood with him at all. I was like, is he seeing other people? Is he not? We're spending a lot of time together, but I don't speak to him in the week. He was acting away and I was like, right, I just need to be brave and ask the question. And I said to him, um, like, we, he doesn't drink. And we were walking past the pub. I went, can we just go in here, like, grab a Coke or something? I just really want to talk to you. And I sat down. And I was like, I'm really nervous. So just let me get it out. And he went, has your cancer come back? Not, am I being a prick? Has your cancer come back? So this is the kind of thing. And plus the fact as well, like, I don't that know if I... That was the answer to what you said? Yeah, I said, no. No, it hasn't. So that has been ruminating in his head. He was going out with a girl who'd had cancer. So he's probably thinking, oh, is the cancer going to come back? So it's all these things in my head. I'm like, what are you? And then... You know, I the added layer of, you know, pregnancy might not be as straightforward for me as other people. That's if I choose to have children. I still don't know if I want to be a maternal mother. My ideal right now is meet a divorced, wonderful man who's got a young child that I can yeah. be a stepmom to because I'm great with kids. Do I want to procreate mine? I don't know. Yeah. So it's finding as well. I've got that layer. So yeah. I might find the right guy, but we might want totally different you know, lives. I think even in you saying like my perfect person now, like has had a previous significant relationship, yeah. had a kid, all of that. I don't think you would have thought that like five years no. ago because you would have seen like the traditional view of like, yes. I want this relationship so much for you to be able to be like, for someone else that might be like, oh, you know, that's yeah. not for me. You know exactly that that is exactly what would fit with your life. And do you know how yeah. powerful that is? Like yeah. the fact that you know that. But also as well, it's like, I've got my niece, my nephew, I've got all my friends, children, like I adore the way I love them I can't describe so why wouldn't I love on someone else's child that way it's just that I've lost so much of my life to an illness and to grief and death I'm now in my late 40s and it's like if I get to like 42 43 do I then want to have a child I don't know that could be, that could change. We could be talking again when I'm 43 and I've got a litter yeah. of children. Do you know what All I mean? Nine. <laughs> All nine of them. But the thing is, for me right now, I am so much more open to that possibility of a relationship in that way. And I think what it does, it allows me to have a relationship and grow and love and develop this bond with someone without it being this TikTok of a body clock. Like, actually, it could be, for me, it's like meeting someone again in my mid-20s. I've had five years, pretty much, like, of figuring things out. And... It's a blessing and a curse. Like, I genuinely feel I'm at the point now, Grace, where, you know, I'm stepping back from the podcast. I'm five years cancer-free. Um, I'm living on my own. I love my career. Everything that's happening, now I'm making decisions for a future, which I didn't before. I'm so cancer-heavy. I'm very content and happy in a way I've never felt. And I'm really, really excited about the future. And I just feel like, I feel like the last five years have led up to this. And I think if I'd have met anyone in the last five years, I wouldn't have been able to sustain a relationship. No, and if you I'm did, it was probably going to be the wrong relationship as well because yeah. it's based on wanting to yeah. sustain a relationship rather yeah. than wanting to, you know, create yeah. the right thing. And I have this saying, I've always said it, dust settles, not me. And, but the thing is, I now realise that I wasn't settled. Mm. I was still all up in the air. So I'm just really excited now for like this kind of new part of my life and what that holds. And I've kind of got ideas about what that looks like. like I've got my own personal website. So to kind of go back to my blogging era, but obviously a lot more fully formed and profesh. Um, new website launching this year. So it means I can write again and create content long form. That isn't all about algorithms. Can't wait. Starting off my own podcast that has nothing to do with cancer. Like looking at doing documentaries and all of these things that I never thought I'd have the option to do five years ago. I'm now leaning into this new life I've created for myself and I'm really excited by that. And, you know, that's why when I, I went and talked at my old school and people like, did you always know it's what you wanted to do? And I said, no, I found myself here. And I think we need to really hit that home to young people 
it's good to have an idea of what you want to be, but the plan is going to change. Lean into it. Don't fight it. And you will never, like, your life will just happen for you in ways that are so magic. I've got this whole book in me that I'm going to pitch this year, and it's around grief and death and our relationship with it, because it's something I've really had to face. And I've done, I was had health anxiety since I was 16. I was convinced I was going to die young from 16 and then got cancer at 31. Right. Do you imagine what that does to your head? Yeah. And then I've had to bury a lot of my friends. And I have this thing about getting to 40. I'm so scared I, I will die at 40 because I've had a lot of people die at 40. So it's like this challenge to get past it and do it. And I, and I know, I, I, I just like, no, I will be. But I've also got very comfortable with the fact that just say I do. I know that I will go to sleep having made the mark that I want in this world, having lived a life I'm proud of. And that has been the big game changer because I used to be so scared to die that I wasn't living. And now I live in case I die. <laughs> You're amazing. That's honestly, I feel like I've had like a... Therapy. Yeah. Like I'll I give really... you a check. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. No, honestly, thank you so much. No, You've been you. absolutely incredible. This has been one of my favourite podcasts oh, I've ever recorded. Honestly, I, I needed this. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks, Shave. No, my pleasure. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com